We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. <sighs> Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. Zero percent APR while supplies last. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 166, and this one is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and today we've got some listener questions, so that means I need my friend Frances to help me out and finish out the international break. How are you doing today, Frances? I am incredibly excited to be talking about the international break. The international break is the best thing that ever happens, especially from a club perspective. The international break is awesome. That is the same kind of sarcasm that you would probably use if you were a uh, Tottenham supporter today, uh, because we actually have got a lot of listener questions dealing with manager questions, many prompted by Mauricio Pochettino's release by Tottenham, a team that made the Champions League final last year, but is currently in fifth place in the Premier League table, though only a few points off fifth, so don't be confused by the Premier League table. But then the bigger news is they released them last night, and then this morning, maybe in a time when you don't really see many deals being done, Jose Mourinho is brought in. So can you believe that we're starting an FC Barcelona podcast about Jose Mourinho? I say we talk about something else, Frances. What do you think? Yep, something else. Not interested, Mourinho or anyone <laughs> like that. See you later. Bye. 
Well, one piece of business I, I want to get to before there might you might hear an echo on on this week's show on my end for those who follow us on Patreon and quick take match reviews three dollars. Uh, everybody knows the drill there. But I'm actually down in a in, in a new place in a in a new place in my home. There you might hear a little bit of echo for now. We're still working all those things, and if you follow us on the YouTube page, you'll be able to see in the coming weeks uh, what all that hard work and what this echo will lead to. But for the time being, I, I just want to also say that instead of talking about the international break matches, and I know that a lot of other Spanish-related uh, football podcasts that people would listen to, uh, they do talk about international break games. But uh, again, this is related just to FC Barcelona. And it seems like uh, our fan base, Frances, just like you, you kind of hit the, hit the nail on the head there. There really isn't an interest about the international games. And those who support FC Barcelona don't truly affiliate themselves uh, with a national team. And because it's a global audience, we have fans all over over the world who vote for who root for their own international soccer team. So for me, there's no way of connecting the U.S. men's national team with FC Barcelona. So I find that there's, it, I don't know, there's almost a barrier uh, in between it all. So I think it's, it'd be a better thing to talk about some of the bigger news. And that is a certain player that retired that uh, certainly, uh, I, I want to call him a little bit polarizing, not in how good he was or how important he was, but where he stands in Barcelona lore. So today, before we get to listener questions, La Gran Pagunta, is David Villa a Barcelona legend? And Frances, how about we just give, you just give people a quick little uh, refresher and an opener about uh, David Villa. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Really good to see what you've got to say. So uh, the question here, is, da- is David Villa a Barcelona legend? And I think the argument, Frances, we're making is he only played three seasons, so David Villa only made 77 appearances in an FC Barcelona. That's both official and unofficial in an FC Barcelona shirt. And he only scored 33 goals. So that doesn't put him anywhere on any kind of all-time list. But we wonder whether or not, you know, the teams he was on wind up being legendary teams under Pep Guardiola. But is David Villa himself a Barcelona legend? I think that's really the, the crux of the question I'm asking. Sure. I think whether a player is considered a legend has to do more with feeling than actual numbers. Obviously, Numbers are everything to some people, but for people like myself, uh, it's a combination of both. Um, I think the most important factor is whether you love that player or not, whether that player um, gave everything for our colours from the very second they joined until the very second they decided to go elsewhere. And David Villa definitely does fit that category. I mean, if you do a Formula One sort of transaction here, Michael Schumacher has got the most Formula One World Championships, but you know, even though he's obviously clearly a legend, I don't think he's anybody's favorite driver ever. Uh, in terms of consistency, he may have been, but everyone seems to go back to Ayrton Senna, more recently even Lewis Hamilton. So I think it is the same. I think David Villa, um, his connection with everyone around him, obviously particularly Messi, but also uh, the front three with Pedro, you know, uh, it's a clear color from La Masia and also the Spanish national team all combined in one. Um, having Xavi Iniesta and obviously Busquets behind, you know, that team, as you mentioned, was legendary. And everyone that made things better for the team and had a protagonist role should be considered a legend as well. Obviously, with Villa, you've got beyond the Barca colours, you've got everything he did from Spain, top goal scorer in Spanish uh, national team history, so passing Raul and the many players that have played for Spain over the years. And I really do think that a combination of both is, is what determines here that David Villa is a Barca legend and also a Spanish national team legend as well. Yeah, sure. Certainly. I think when you do all that winning, that really uh, that plays, a, plays a hand. And I, I was also thinking the same thing about uh, Terry Henry, who 
this week. I know Jose Mourinho becoming Tottenham is the big news, but here on, in North America, Terry Henry, after his disastrous, disastrous AS Monaco coaching will, uh, debut as a head coach, he winds up uh, coming to, the, to North America for MLS, to the Montreal Impact up in Canada. And so that'll be a, maybe a beautiful nightmare once again. It could work out great, could work out poorly, but Terry Henry, I find to be the same thing uh, at Barcelona, where he was a part of this you know, generation of talents and he was at the top of his powers. And just like how David Villa, when he was at Valencia, that was when he really, truly was at his best. That's when the team revolved around him. They only won a Copa del Rey. But even his time at Real Zaragoza before that, uh, they, they won a Copa del Rey uh, with behind his, his goal-scoring prowess. And he was a big part of that team as well. So David Villa, I think by the time he gets to Barcelona, he's at the peak of his power, sure. But I think the selflessness that he had in his time there, and it was that selflessness that actually probably wind up to him leaving as well. It's just... It just worked out that he would have a role at Atletico Madrid, and Barcelona had their eye on other players in the coming seasons, such as uh, Neymar and Luis Suarez. So that meant that David Villa was going to be on the way out. And again, I think of Terry Henry the same way. Then I've got some other names for you here. I, I guess, Frances, you give me a yes or no answer, and I'll give you maybe a little bit of argument on each of these. I, I think Diego Maradona kind of takes this argument to the to the the letters because he was better at, at Napoli sure and when he was at Barcelona they weren't really doing too much winning but Diego Maradona is obviously one of the greatest players to ever played a game but is Diego Maradona a Barcelona legend? No Diego Maradona is not a Barcelona legend he's a very good player who played for Barca but his head he was good on the pitch don't get me wrong but his head was let's just say more engaged elsewhere especially sure. when it came to nighttime. and uh, what he did on the pitch was good but he wasn't really good enough to to start like he did it in Napoli, you know, don't get me wrong, but to kickstart a winning cycle at Barca. So I don't think Maradona is a Barca legend at all. No, no way. Yeah, and that's funny that we do talk about that nighttime thing because we, we then you look back at not only Ronaldinho, who's the most recent high-profile example of that, but then I go back in the history books and Lazlo uh, Kubala was one of the uh, we'll say greatest nighttime uh, adventurers that Barcelona ever had. And they always say that uh, under Helenio Herrera, that's where they butted heads. If you go back and watch the YouTube video from last week, uh, Kubala was all about getting in, and he would just pop up to training late or, or maybe not at all. And yet when it came time to play the games, he was just so much more superior than everyone else around him on the field that it didn't, it didn't matter. And he gets a pass because of the generation and era he lived in. I don't think the way Kubala... Uh, his diet and the way he dealt with his body and the lack of sleep. I, no way would that ever uh, would ever work out today, though PK is trying to test the limits there with his four to five hours a night. But uh, I digress. Ha, another one for you. We're going, we're going back to the dream team out of Johan Cruyff. How about Julio Salinas? Oof. Barca legend. No. Sorry, he's not a Barca legend. He's just, he was a very valid player, a very good striker, someone who would be relied upon to be the clumsiest player in the whole team but somehow managed to put the the tip of his foot in the right place while falling down and sort of bumping heads with some person who was already on the ground and still managing to score a goal um i don't think he's a legend he's just a very valid player that um because of his role in the team as a as a striker mostly second half striker um scored plenty of goals for for one of the best teams in Barca history which makes him part of a legendary team sure but I don't right think he was a legend himself right so that's a big argument that julio salinas and david villa they fit almost in yeah. the same category but david villa was just a little bit better and but julio salinas you know on his way there 
but for what David Villa did over the course of three seasons that, that we're talking about. Again, it wasn't just goal scoring, and you're yeah, right. But it Villa, is the eye Villa test. Villa was much better, though. Sure. Villa, Villa's a much, much better player than Salinas ever was right. in terms of, um, of creating spaces for himself, in terms of uh, being unselfish, as you mentioned, um, to allow other people to shine because, you know, Messi doesn't shine in the way he does if uh, Villa doesn't allow him to. It's a similar relationship with, they've got with Suarez now, but obviously Villa had to sacrifice the central spot to come to the side whereas Suarez hasn't needed to do that. Um, in terms of association, in terms of dribbling, in terms of being in the right place at the right time, in terms of understanding the game, combining Villa is millions like years ahead of Salinas, without a doubt. And then the final two are two guys that neither you nor I uh, got to see. Again, we're, we're not as old as we, as we might seem when we're talking back and forth sometimes, <laughs> but uh, we have Mariano Martin from the 1940s. He just won one La Liga trophy and one Copa Generalismo, but he, and he is 10th all-time on the Barcelona scoring list. But you never hear the name Mariano Martin, uh, obviously, because that was a time when Barcelona were struggling to recover after the Spanish Civil War. And the other guy, Jose Pascola, is the same way. He played for Barcelona in both the 30s and the 40s for most of that uh, decade, well, most of both of those decades. But yet he had to lead during the Spanish Civil War. That was the team that wound up going over to North America. You can read all about that, uh, again, what was happening during the late 30s. Uh, and he, but he is, Escola being, is sixth all-time on the Barcelona scoring list. And the point I actually want to make here is the way that Barcelona legends now stack up to this current generation. As we know, Barcelona, the majority of their winning in club history has been done prior to 1992. And if you want to make an even better argument, prior to 2006. Uh, and so I think guys of that generation, particularly in the 30s and 40s, and you can say the same thing about players in the 80s when Barca or the 70s, when Barca were not just raking in the trophies the way they are now. I think some of those guys do... They run the risk of being forgotten, and if you are forgotten, then you certainly are the Barcelona legend. But in the history books, Escola deserves to be there again, sixth all time. And I don't think Martín should be a guy should be, you know, truly forgotten either, uh, because they were, even though they were playing at a time when Barcelona weren't their best, they were still important players in the history of Barcelona lore. Uh, and that's an interesting point. Again, David Villa, I think, because he was on that Pep Guardiola team uh, at the turn of this decade, and how much winning they they did, I think he'll always be. He always has his place. His, he always has his ticket because not only was he a great player, but he was a great player on one of the greatest teams, potentially the greatest team ever assembled. Exactly. And I think it's a similar argument to whether I care or not about the Ballon d'Or and the FIFA World Players and all that nonsense. I absolutely don't care about it. I know he sells a lot of newspapers. I know he generates a lot of clicks. But honestly, I couldn't care less because football is a collective sport and everything should be linked to whether you actually have a leading role towards your team winning. And uh, unfortunately, the, the, the names you mentioned in the 1940s, 1950s didn't really take Barca to European glory. I mean, football was invented back then and Real Madrid were about to start winning loads of the of Copa, uh, Copa Europa, European Cups at the time, especially under the Stefano. And that's a whole Pandora's book that we <laughs> really don't have time to go over now. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, that's probably another episode we need to do then, to be honest. Uh, but um, absolutely not something that we want to go back to because it was a Real Madrid-dominated era. But um, no, I think Barca, legendary teams, they are the five that won the five European Cups and then obviously the continuation of leagues um, in terms of the Johan Cruyff era. But then again, they did win the European Cup in 1992. So um, I think collectively, especially you know, on a personal level, 
has to go back to the best teams in, in, in our history. And those are the teams that achieve the European glory at uh, World Club World Cups, but also um, Copa de Europas. Yep, and let's put a bow on this David Villa discussion with a question from Rick. He asked, after announcing his retirement at the end of this season, I loved his time at Barca, as Rick speaking, as he adapted so well to Pep's system, though I also can say that you and I both have admitted that we loved his time at Barca as well. <laughs> what are your best memories of El Guaje? Where does he rank in the all-time best Barca forwards? I think we kind of answered that already, but what can current and future strikers of Barca learn from him? And I think we mentioned that already too, that you have to... When you have a mercurial talent like Messi, Messi at the moment obviously does operate on the wing, comes a little more strike uh, centrally. But Villa was a, a selfless guy who made that Barca run, the run that so many players learn in La Masia up and around behind the defense, but also up through the middle as well. Those, those two distinct runs that are made for those diagonal balls as a player is cutting in because obviously Barca's on the other wing or in the middle of the field going to have somebody who's able to unlock a defense and both score and pass on their own. Barca always has that, that player, whether it's Rivaldo or Messi, whoever it is in that kind of system. And El Guaje, for being a number nine, he was able to play on the wing like one of the best wingers in the world. And so that's certainly something to be learned. But for me, am I allowed to... T- how about... I think there's two distinct moments, Frances. Can you think of what I'm thinking of? No, I, I can think of mine, but I'll let you go first. All right. Well, uh, man. All right, then I'll go with one. And then we'll see if you get the other one I can, I'm thinking of. So obviously, El Clasico 2010, the 5 nothing, the one that I think of. Uh, he was uh, superb in that game. Uh, I thought he was, uh, again, he was just a, Messi's going to be the one, and Xavi had some of the greatest, uh, maybe one of the greatest performances we've ever seen in Barcelona shirts. But don't forget about David Villa in that 5 nothing. I think, in 2010 against, in, in the El Clasico. Well, then I know the other one. It has to be Champions League final against Man United. Yeah, 100%. Well, <laughs> yeah, easy peasy. There you go. So now that just a deadly strike from outside the area, curled up all the way past, I, I believe it was Van der Sar at the time from Man United. And uh, yeah, I personally remember I was living in London at the time. Um, I, in true Couleur style, I went into a British pub to watch this. Um, I was surrounded by red shirts, and um, basically I was there. My brother was visiting from Barcelona as well, so there was me, my brother, and, and our girlfriends at the time, wives now. And, uh, yeah, I, I remember being drenched with beer every time we scored, especially every time. I think it was Rooney that scored the equaliser sort of towards the end of the first half. And, yeah, I definitely stank on the way home, but um, let's just say <laughs> that I stank more than everyone else of success and everyone else stank of envy at the time yeah and i i was actually watching i went and uh, once i heard the news i i watched all of his goals for for barcelona you can find on youtube obviously and that goal against man united might have been his best in a barcelona uniform i think he had some better team goals but i I, as far as individual brilliance that might have been his best and he saved it for the biggest moment he could have and i think that says a lot about david villa that he his biggest successes and again this is the same case with Spain uh, his his biggest success came in the biggest moments and I think that's always something that we underestimate about uh, about athletes and about about certain players that the ones who do it when the lights are the brightest uh, wind up being ones that we should remember as well so we're gonna uh, turn the lights down just a bit on our next uh, pair of questions Pancho asks, how do you think our players out on loan are faring Coutinho with a hot start cooled down in Germany Juan Miranda uh, hasn't 
got really seen the field much for Schalke. Finia, once again, hurt for Salta de Vigo. And Oriel, has, Oriel Busquets, that is, has been a starter for uh, Twente over in the Netherlands. And Marco Correa, a bright spot in the Hadafe team. Uh, and then George follows up by saying, do you think Coutinho underperforms when it comes to being under pressure and cru- crucial times in the season? So uh, the first part there, uh, when it comes to uh, Oral Busquets, is actually the one I, I want to circle here. He started five games at defensive midfield or six games, something like that, for Twente uh, in the Netherlands. But their form kind of dipped. He missed one match on the bench. And then the last three matches before the international break, Oral Busquets actually played at center back. So what that tells me is that his spot on the field is secured. But they're trying different things, and he might be seen. And I do think back to Frankie de Jong for Ajax when he was playing center back. There is something between defensive midfield and, and center back that uh, does make it amendable. Oro Busquets is also a pretty tall guy. Uh, I'm not going to do the, do the conversion with metrics and feet and inches, but for those listening in the U.S., he is, I believe, about 6'2", potentially even 6'3". So he is, he is a, a tall young man. Um, and he has widened out a bit since we last saw him in La Masia when he was 16, 17 years old. Uh, so Oro Busquets certainly uh, filling out his body. And then also in the Dutch League, I want to remind you that the Dutch League is not known for, uh, we'll say, it's, it's physically imposing, terrifying center forwards or, or, or too much physicality. So the center backs are able to get away with a, a bit more without needing to be center backs on the championship in the 1980s. It's, it's, we're talking about a different thing. And then Kukure, of course, uh, Frances has mentioned in the past that while he has been good for Hadafe, broken into another team after uh, breaking into Ivar last year, I, I, I'm kind of with Francesca. I don't think Kukurea is ever going to return. Uh, but Coutinho, isn't he always a puzzling one, Francesca? He is, but the thing is, would he be having a spot with us now? He wouldn't. He didn't last year. He wouldn't now. I mean, you've got Ansu Fati that obviously has erupted into the first team. He's in first team dynamics, and uh, any minute he can get is going to be beneficial for him and definitely for our club in the long run. Then you've got Griezmann starting pretty much every game. Then Bele is not really, because he hasn't really been fit enough. And I don't think Coutinho has any place in our team whatsoever. Um, obviously, I do wish him all the best because, you know, to be honest, he was professional pretty much the whole way uh, when he was at Barca. I mean, he disrespected the Camp Nou a couple of times. And that's most definitely why he's not there, apart from his skills. But beyond that, I don't wish him any harm. I think that, the best that the best for Barca is that he actually does well, so that Bayern wants to keep him, so we can get some money back, or actually, he um, increases his value at least doesn't decrease it, so we can sell him on. I think uh, Coutinho for Barca at the moment is just a piece of business that um, is damage limitation really. Yeah, and when you see we we talk about underperforming, it's interesting. I, I have a list here of I don't want to call them luxury players, but it, it almost fits a role where there is this the center attacking midfielder in the middle or secondary strikers. So look at uh, Mesut Ozil at Arsenal, Paulo Dybala at Juventus, James Rodriguez and Isco at Real Madrid, uh, and then even the way Antoine Griezmann this week in the news about, uh, about where he fits at FC Barcelona and people really just pushing and saying, oh, he's got to adapt now, 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 and he's got to have a role. Uh, but when it comes to Griezmann and Ozil, Dybala, Hamez, uh, Isco, and then I think Thomas Muller in that bunch is the luckiest of them, just in, far, in terms of Bayern Munich, really, because of his offensive abilities. Thomas Muller, 
how do I say this? Bayern Munich, I, I think they revolved their system, or at least they did uh, in years prior. He's getting a little long in the tooth now, but they did revolve everything around Thomas Mueller. And then Robin and Ribery were always stuck on the sidelines for Bayern Munich, where, where they belong, obviously, cutting into the middle. Uh, but Mueller just worked perfectly with, with that system and with, the, with that tandem, with Lewandowski being the, uh, the, you know, one of the greatest number nines the world has seen this, this century. So it all fit together for him as far as positionally. But for the rest of them, as I said, for Ozio, Griezmann, Dybala, James, Isco, they're, the system that they play in and the high-profile teams they play in, they're not the number one options on, any, on, on their teams. Coutinho's going to be the same way. They're not the number one offensive options. But they're the guys that if you give them the keys to the, to the car, they're going to drive it fast but they also might get pulled over here and again uh, for that analogy for you. So it's not that they, they, they break under pressure or they're not crucial in times of the season, but the way it's built is that they don't really play Robin to a Batman well, and it's because their skill set wants a team. A, a team needs to revolve around them in that when Colombia back in the 2014, it was all about James Rodriguez, and you saw how good he was. Uh, and that kind of just, just ser- does serve to be uh, what ha- when these players are at their best, when the team revolves around them, yet all of these guys are or second or third options on their club teams. Uh, and I, I, to me, I always think of Raquel May as paving the way uh, for that kind of player. Uh, as far as, is he a better as a winger? Should he be in the middle of the field? But can you, can you surround, can you create a, a top, top team in the world with him in the middle? Uh, or does he have to be pushed out in the wing? And that's kind of almost the exact same thing with Coutinho, time at Barca, and now a little bit with Bayern Munich. Yeah, and I think the only point I want to pick up there is the, the Griezmann bit. I think people are very used to playing FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer and even Football Manager, and they think that great player plus great player plus great player equals three players playing greatly in the same team. And actually, the, what we said at the beginning of the pod in terms of Villa, it's all about learning to, to coexist. And um, when you play for Barca, you know that the spotlight is on Messi, and the spotlight will be on Messi until Messi decides that he wants to go somewhere else. He's... He's that good. And uh, he's the reason why we consider everyone that played around Messi legends or part of legendary teams and not uh, great uh, top scorers from the 1940s, 1950s. And it all goes down to that. Um, everyone who plays around Messi knows and understands they need to adapt to his game because he's the one that naturally would be leading. And he won't be leading in a screaming at everybody's way like some people want him to do, but he will be leading with facts and goals and assists and, and magic. So... Um, Griezmann will not be the player that he was at Atletico Madrid because the scheme is different, because the environment is different. Um, so what he needs to do is adapt, he needs to learn, and he needs to find himself. And I think that he's doing fairly well so far. Um, all he needs to do is continue to fine-tune and adapt and tweak in order to find his best version. And uh, I really do think that having a great manager who understands where he's coming from or where he can give would actually be a great help. And I don't think he's got that at the moment. Yeah, manage is the key word, and we got this whole show without answering any questions so far about Ernesto Valverde, but Frances, we can't hide from it any longer. So we're going to talk a little bit about the manager and other transfer business on the other side of the ad break. What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX command simulated. All right, back from the ad break, we got a question from Douglas. Do you think the club would be in better shape this season if they had spent more time in the offseason 
giving time and effort to signing Delict instead of Neymar. And then Don asked that, adds to that by asking about our thoughts on Delict. Apparently there was some, Patrick Kluivert made, made a point that he thought that Delict should have signed with Barca and that there might be a little regret there, but we hadn't heard anything from Delict. So Don actually asked, can we see a transfer for him in the near future in the next couple of transfer windows? And uh, Juventus is not going to sell to Barcelona for any even about a bit. So I would say give it a quite a few years on Delict. But yeah, there could be the regret there. But I also think you go back and my thoughts as far as Delict or Neymar were pretty clear. But where do you stand on that now, Frances? I think whoever doesn't want to play for Barca shouldn't play for Barca. End of. Uh, um, he had an offer from us. That's quite clear. Quite clear. Um, I think the offer that was made to Ajax was fair, and uh, I just accepted our offer for for Frankie, Frankie the Young, and he's with us. And this, the offer was, I think, it was done even before the, the Young offer, and um, he decided to go as well. So I've got no time for players that don't want to be in our team. Absolutely zero. Um, obviously, he's a great player. Um, to be honest, he seems to have been struggling quite a bit in Italy, to be fair. Uh, I think that's more adaptation. And there's us criticizing Griezmann's adaptations from Atletico Madrid to us, but there you go. And um, I think he's young enough to have a chance to come back. But at the moment, he's shown no interest. He said nothing that he wants to come to us. And uh, when he came to decide, he chose to go somewhere else. So I wish him all the best and all the health in the world. And we'll see what happens in the future. But for now, I'm not wasting a second talking about him. Yeah, we, and we don't know what happens behind the scenes, but what we do know is, yeah, when the club, it seemed that Delict was pretty uh, decided in the beginning of the summertime, so I think does yeah, it, it, it almost doesn't matter. Who, who sees um, agents? Right, of course, it's uh, uh, Riola. Yeah, yeah, so, but when it comes, so I think, Douglas, to answer your question, I think the Delicting, since it was, start, it was pretty much decided near the start of the summer, I don't think Barcelona still should have spent all summer. And we talked about it. I, I still don't think that they should have spent all that summer on Neymar anyway. I think if Neymar, they could have gone after him, and that's fine. And I think, again, we talked about it. You can go back many shows, Francesca and I are talking about Neymar. But he's a world-class talent, and he, I think he was either going to come or not. But the whole drama of, of negotiating with PSG and, and back and forth with Neymar and his dad and all the things that surround that, these sagas— my frustration is, well, I wish that they had, even if they hadn't made a deal for a new number nine to replace Luis Suarez, my hope would be that they had at least laid the groundwork or started to have conversations and things like that. You know, yeah, I wish their time would just... Neymar win... Yeah, but Dan, Neymar can win you a title. Sure, but I'm ne- saying... Neymar it... makes your team immediately better, and Neymar has proven that he can do it. So even though that obviously nothing came to fruition and PSG was never really... Uh, interested in selling. I think chasing Neymar was the right thing to do because he's someone who can unbalance um, any final, any semi-final. Because let's face it, um, and this is probably going to sound a bit heavy and he may come back to buy me in the future, La Liga can be won with a solid team that has Messi in it and has players around that, that can complement him. But when he gets to quarterfinals, semi-finals, finals for the Champions League, Neymar can unbalance it, uh, a game. And also, he will be someone that um, rival managers and you know rival defenses they will have to work extra hard to cover it. So I think Neymar is, was worth chasing. It's just it just didn't come to fruition. But without a doubt, he's a top top five forward in the world. You know, I don't think you're going out on a limb there because Barca haven't been their best and they've won two straight La Ligas surrounded surrounding Messi, uh, and they've done the same thing when you mentioned about not having that other piece besides Messi to, to score that goal in the Champions League in the last two years. So, yeah, you're right about both those things. Obviously, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, hopefully not at this point. 
but yeah, I think we can agree to disagree there on, on the way. And again, I don't know anything behind the scenes, so there could have been... <laughs> We've agreed to disagree so many times on that, haven't we, that? <laughs> well, I, I think there could be a lot of phone calls that obviously I don't know about the phone calls that were made. So there could have, there could have been inquiries to different number nines and seeing what their availability was and trying to judge what their availability would be in, in future transfer windows. But yeah, I, I... the president decided just to broadcast and uh, promote and change this saga in order to sell newspapers. That could also be true. Yep, yep, I agree with that because Neymar, for for so much of the fan base, he still, you're right, he still sells newspapers and you know that if he returned to Barcelona, he would sell more jerseys than any other player uh, coming to the Blagrana. And that's the truth. That's what, what happened. He would sell more jerseys. There was just such an infatuation with him and there are just some of those guys that every time Mario Balotelli, now playing in Italy for Brescia, Mario Balotelli, no matter where he goes, he's going to sell jerseys. They're just guys who do that in the world. Neymar is one of them. Well, let's move on talking about Barcelona. Uh, we still haven't, again, they've been on international break, so we haven't really talked about the first team much. Messi and Suarez faced off against Brazil, I mean, uh, Uruguay and Argentina. Then uh, Messi wound up beating Brazil as well. Friendly, but Antonio asked, do you think Barca will turn the corner with regards to playing better this season? And the Valverde? No. <laughs> no. No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think Barca will play better. I think Barca may become more solid. Uh, I don't think Barca will, under Valverde, stop depending on the brilliance of Messi and sparks from Dembélé and uh, olfato goleador like goal-scoring instinct for Suarez when he's on the pitch. Um, the odd spur of, um, I don't know, freshness and dynamism and, and the off chances that Ansu Fati may bring. I don't think there's any more than that. I think Frankie and Arthur can grow together. I think they can move the ball quicker. I think the option behind them will be Busquets for most of the season. Because I don't think um, Valverde is brave enough to actually put uh, Frankie as a holding and then include someone else um, you know, in the two interiores position. So will Barca play better? No. I think they may play a little bit faster. But I don't think Barca, based on the manager and based on the, the pieces and how the manager is using them, I don't think they can play much better than this, yeah, unfortunately. I, well, I think there are three minor things that could improve. I think you hit one of them, talking about Arthur and De Jong getting a little more comfortable. And I think the, the, the better that Frankie De Jong, I think he's pretty integrated already, but the better he gets integrated to the squad, the better that midfield's going to run. Uh, then we already mentioned Antoine Griezmann as number two the better he gets and the more associated he gets with his teammates and playing with Barcelona, uh, that could help as well. And then part three of that, I think the defense has not been great to start the season uh, and a little bit of health from Jordi Alba, uh, as much as I don't really call him uh, a defender as much as we probably should anymore, uh, or sorry, reverse of that, where he's probably called more defender than he is at this moment. Uh, then Nelson Lamedo has been actually pretty good on the left side and the right side. Uh, when he's had to be, but I've, you know, I've been critical of PK for good reason. Uh, his performances on the field, not even the things saying off the field, but I think the defense could get better. And Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, for the goals that are going in, so, not many are his fault at all. And we know that he'll be there in big moments as well. So I hope Sam Umtiti also gets healthy because a trio of, and Todibo's way beyond. I, again, I've called for him to be on the field, but it's not going to happen this year. Obviously, he's only 20. So PK, Umtiti, and Langley, if the, all three can stay healthy, it just makes the, the defense that much better and that much more solid. So I think they could improve in those three positions. But when Antonio asked that question, he's talking about visually, like, are, are people going to be happier watching them? And that answer, I agree with you, is no. Even 
if things get incrementally better. So, but just even if they're going to be ugly and people are going to be frustrated watching them play, it doesn't mean they're not going to win. So if they are able to improve upon minor things this season, they can still win. And what that means Mm -hmm. for, as Leonardo asked, when is the ideal time to sack Valverde? Well, if they win, I don't know if he will be, but I, I think the easy answer for Leonardo is if Barcelona crash out of the Champions League group stage, or at the end of the season. I think those are the two times when you could see uh, Valverde sack this year. The ideal time to sack Valverde is July 2019. And he mentioned Beyond that. that. He did mention that in the question, that he knew that that was the case. Yeah, Yeah. so that, that, that was it. Um, moving forward, honestly, tomorrow for me, international break will be an ideal time. Then everyone comes back from international duty and they can recharge their batteries. Um, because if you sack him tomorrow, you've still got time to build something special moving forward. Obviously, then it goes back to which manager is available, um, who can trust. Interestingly enough, Dan, I don't know if this has been reported anywhere else, but um, Patrick Kloiber was talking on the Tojira, which is a Catalan, Catalonia radio, Catalun, Catalan radio um, show. I think it was last night or even this afternoon. And uh, very interestingly, he was asked. He was asked all about the Victor Valdez controversy and the fact that obviously, when they were playing, when Kloiber was playing at Barça, Valverde actually came up from Juvenil and Barça B, and he started training. So they were actually teammates. Um, I don't know if many people knew that, but anyway, um, he tiptoed all over that um, negativity. He said he didn't want to make anyone look bad. You can read between the lines as to what that looks like and what that means. But um, sorry, I'm digressing a bit here. He then went back to say about um, what his ideal role would be. And the interviewer asked, OK, so would you rather be the general manager at Barca or be the manager's, the, the Barca coach? So actually be on the festbed and next to, next to the grass and calling the shots. And he said, I want to be the coach. He said, I would rather be the coach at Barca than the manager. So it's really interesting. Obviously, they then get pressing and they said, well, it's nothing that I want to do now, but, you know, I'm a footballer, I'm a football man, I've got a footballing license and that is something that it may happen in the future. So I don't want to discard Croy becoming the manager anytime. Yeah, I do want to make a point, though, that you can watch uh, and listen or, or read about both the interviews with Cloyvert and uh, Eric Albidal earlier in the week. And some of those comments, we're not going to won't get into them, but some of the comments by both those guys I don't know if I, I never know if things are lost in translation. That's why I try to uh, I try to view them or read them in Spanish, uh, just so I, I I mean as best I can to understand what could be lost in translation because it just seems like some of the comments that are always made. It seems like I, I I never understand what the the idea is. And this is Albidal talking about Griezmann was was again the thing we're referring to. And I just never understand what the motivation is behind some of the comments that are made. I understand when, you know, we know the mind games of, of Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho when they're in the press conferences, sure. And that's a manager. Sometimes managers need to be hard on their team uh, to get the best out of them, or they believe that that's going to be the case. Or sometimes managers just need to do what Valverde does and just, you know, supports his team and supports individual players. But I think that winds up being a manager as opposed to technical directors and, you know, guys, uh, heads of youth development and all those different things. So I, I found both those interviews this week to be puzzling. And again, it's the international break. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a quick interview with Eric Abidal. Uh, and I think that's, I don't know, it's, it's weird. It is weird. And the thing is, um, it's always better to hear it from the horse's mouth because uh, the, the interview was in Catalan and Clover doesn't really speak Catalan that much. So he was replying in Spanish. So I know exactly what was said. And uh, again, when, when someone reports from an interview or, a sh- or any sort of 
conversation within the dressing room. Then when it gets translated into another language, they only pick the what they want to pick. You know, that's that's biased information for you. Yeah. Um, some will call it fake news, but I'm not even going to go remotely there at all. Um, but yeah, that then whoever recycles the news gets recycled by a thousand people, etc., etc., etc. So then in the end, you don't really know who said what. Um, but no, that's exactly what he said because I heard it on the radio. Yeah. Two quick questions more. Vilmos asked, would Robert Moreno be the perfect manager to guide Barca through this difficult period? Uh, the reason his name is now um, kind of thrown in the ring, if you will, is he is a former assistant at Barca from 2014 to 2017, so winning the, uh, the trouble with Luis Enrique. Uh, and obviously he's been an important part of Luis Enrique's, we'll say his staff uh, at Spain, because he became the head coach when Luis Enrique, and we talked about that for his personal, uh, what, ha- what happened with his daughter and all that. But once Robert Moreno took over, Seven wins, two draws, qualified Spain for the Euro 2020. Then, you know, it's been unfortunate that he, he was replaced by Luis Enrique. I think there was no good solution there, and everybody knows that. This is a difficult one to talk about because the reasons for Luis Enrique having to resign a few months ago and then kind of coming back to get his job, it's a, it's a, again, it's a really nuanced, uh, difficult situation. But that means that Robert Moreno, as frustrated as it is, it is to see his time as head of Spain end, that means that you potentially have uh, an upstart manager who might be a little cheaper. You know, you look at Jose Mourinho, you know, he got 13 million, uh, million euros this morning. So for Robert Moreno, he'll be much, much cheaper. And is he a guy with only with nine head, head, head games managed, uh, though he was at, uh, at Dom, but they don't play first team. So uh, he, is in, he has been an assistant for, for many, many years. But uh, I don't know. I think he just is another one of those uh, managers now who is available, and I think he'll have a, a, a starring role after what he did with Spain. I, I think he'll be a head coach for somebody, maybe not for the rest of this year, but but certainly come the fall. Yeah, but uh, he, what's he going to manage? I mean, he cannot really coach Barca right now. I mean, we, I mean <laughs> without the best will in the world, what can he teach Messi and Suarez and all of these people? And most importantly, it's not just that. It's what do Messi, Suarez, and etc. Piquet, Busquets, think they can learn from Moreno. I don't think there's going to be much there. Um, I think the whole point why the Spanish Federation replaced Moreno for Luis Enrique is because it was Luis Enrique's job in the first place. Um, he's now ready to come back. And uh, with all due respect to all nations, it's not the same playing Macedonia and Malta than it is to play Brazil, Italy, Germany, etc. in a World Cup. Um, I think that they That's need true. someone... Because they're looking at Qatar 2022. Um, obviously, I'm looking forward to that a lot here as well. But um, I think you need someone strong in charge, someone who will be able to lead a concentration, um, which is a, a concentration, you know, like the training camps and all sorts. Um, someone who can deal with the media, uh, which in Spain is going to be very, very harsh, especially if they lose the first or second games or anything like that. Um, they need someone who's got the pedigree and experience. And Luis Enrique was, um, you know, he was a Barcelona captain when he was playing. He was an international for many, many years. It's definitely 1994 when he got punched by Tassotti on the nose and started bleeding. He was like the poster boy at the time. Uh, then all he did for Barca, not just that, obviously Celta de Vigo, etc. I, I think, like we say in Spanish, there's no color. There's no color. It has to be Luis Enrique, unfortunately, for Moreno. He just needs to build his own legend elsewhere. Um, but he's yeah. not ready for Barca yet. No way. Yeah, but I think he will get a, as I said, I, I think he'll get a head coaching role uh, after yeah. what he did with Spain, whether that's this year, because there will be 
come, I, I guarantee it, after that winter break, there will be open jobs. Uh, maybe it, not even in the Liga, but somewhere else. And then another guy who's also available uh, to be a potential manager, Elias Pacchettino. Uh, so we start and end with talking about Tottenham here. Pacchettino has said that before, mm -hmm. that he wouldn't ever coach Barca out of respect to Espanyol, where he was a former manager. Do you see him changing his stance now that he's out of Spurs? And would you think he'd be successful at Barca? Uh, I think he could be successful at Barca. Uh, my issues there is that, A, I think, no, he's not going to change his mind. Pochettino is one of those managers that has always been, if he's going to come to Spain, it'll be to Real Madrid or somebody else uh, on the other side of the Barca divide. I don't see Pochettino ever as the manager of Barca. But would he be successful? The answer to that might be, I, I, I think... How do I say this? With what's happened at Tottenham and you see with how he's handled the Ericsson situation and other veterans who are more one to way or could be seen out of the club, I think he just messed that up a little bit. And he, I think he is what he's good at, Pacchettino, is, uh, is an attacking system that also has a little bit of defensive uh, fluidity, but he also likes to keep things tight and create a group and create a camaraderie, but he has to have an essence of that where he kind of builds the project on his own and he has a lot of young players. So I actually don't think Pochettino would succeed at Barca who already have that entrenched group of veterans that he, I think he would immediately butt heads with. I don't, I don't, I think, I, yeah, I, I think that's why I stand on that. I don't think it would work for him to come into Barca and then take charge. I think he has to build something up with a younger group, um, like, much like he did with Tottenham. Yeah. And also, as I said before, whoever doesn't want to be a Barca shouldn't be. And um, to be honest, I actually respect the fact that he respects Espanol that much. Um, I know that this is a Barca podcast and I know that uh, I was born in Barcelona and that's why I support this team. But if, if I had been born in Gijón, I would be supporting Sporting. If I had been born in Oviedo, I would be supporting Real Oviedo. Uh, and that's, that's how it is for me. And I really respect the fact that Simeone will not coach Barca, he will stay at Atletico. I respect the fact that, that these, these are people that belong to a club. They've given their the, the whole life to an idea. I mean, would you want to see Sergio Ramos coaching Barca? No, not at all. Would, would I even consider talking about this podcast, podcast about whether Sergio Ramos can become the next manager at Barca? No, I would never do that. And I actually respect the fact that they've got the clubs the same way that I would absolutely 100% not entertain the idea of Xavi coaching Madrid or Puyol or Iniesta doing so. Right. It's the same thought. Yep, yep, I agree with that. Yeah, there's just, again, that list, Lepertegui, uh, whoever it may be, that just, it, it's just, it's, how could they be a Barca? It just doesn't make sense to me. So I think that wraps it up. I, I thought we had a good show for the international break. Francis, maybe not our best, but once Barcelona's back and playing, they play at Leganes in a few days. So we'll get back to it. So thanks again for you, the audience, for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes too. Subscribe to us. Uh, again, give us five stars. All those ratings, they really, really do help. And you can find us on social media too, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, at HealthND13 for me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group where we got this questions, tbpod.link backslash group. Also have deeper dives and discussions. You can help us out on Patreon, as I mentioned at the start of the show, to continue making these shows and hear those quick take match reviews from me, tbpod.link backslash Patreon. That's as low as $3. We're also on YouTube uh, at the Barcelona Podcast. This week's episode is all about and more about David Villa. So that'll be out in the next few days. So look out for that. It's a retrospective on David Villa's whole career. And particularly me, again, posing the question, is he a Barcelona legend? So check that out there. Hit that subscription button. And thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza.
And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance.